I think you should ditch worrying about your heart rate and just go by feel. Easy is a feeling. It is not a number. Sometimes you need parameters if you are prone to running too hard on your easy days, but you should be able to ask yourself, does this feel easy? And if the answer is no, you need to back it off a few notches. And even if the answer is yes, there's no harm in backing it off a notch because an easy run, the purpose of it is to, yes, maybe get in aerobic work, but it's mostly to recover from the quality work that you're doing and to be able to absorb it. And on a truly easy day, you really can't go easy enough. I'll tell my athletes sometimes, I want you a step above walking. And that's going to be different for everyone or everyone's perception of that is going to be a little bit different. But the point is, it needs to feel easy. It can't just be your watch telling you that here's the number that you're supposed to be at. And it's easy because you're at that number because we're not programmable robots. We're human beings. And you need to be able to check in with yourself and be honest with yourself and ask yourself, is this truly easy? And if it's not, have the the discipline and the confidence to back off so that you're not overdoing it. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and this week I'm answering your questions in the last Ask Mario Anything episode of 2020. Thank you so much for all of your submissions. We got some good ones about diversity in the sport, running with my dog Tahoe, easy run paces and weekly mileage, shoes, setting goals, and a lot more. Before we dive in, I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsors that helped make this episode possible. First, thank you to Gatorade Endurance. The off-season is an ideal time for runners to experiment and expand your perspective, whether it's trying new routes, challenging yourself with different workouts, bumping up your weekly mileage, whatever it may be for you. It's also the best time to test out new fueling options before and during your workouts, seeing what works during various activities and at different effort levels. I've been using Gatorade's endurance formula recently to ensure that I'm adequately energized and hydrated before and during some of my workouts. I love the watermelon flavor. It's also available in lemon lime, orange, and cherry. I look forward to trying out some of the other products in their innovative and diverse line like energy gels, energy gels with caffeine, and carb energy chews as Gatorade Endurance offers multiple fueling options that you can adapt to serve your energy and hydration needs. Check out and try some for yourself this offseason. Use the code SHAKEOUT20, that's SHAKEOUT20, and get 20% off your purchase at GatoradeEndurance.com. That's GatoradeEndurance.com and use the code SHAKEOUT20, that's SHAKEOUT20, when you check out and you'll get 20% off your purchase. Also, thank you to Inside Tracker, which I've been using to keep tabs on my blood work the past two years in an effort to optimize my nutrition and subsequently my health, performance, and recovery. Today, more than ever, it is essential that we are making the right decisions to keep our bodies healthy, be resilient, live better, or simply take on whatever the day may throw at us. The answers are inside you. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. As we head into the holiday season, take advantage of Inside Tracker's best deal of the year and take control of your health and wellness with $200 off the Ultimate Plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use the code GIFT FROM MORN SHAKEOUT. That's GIFT FROM M O R N SHAKEOUT, S H A K E O U T, at insidetracker.com or check the show notes to make sure that you get it right. Okay, on the other side of the mic, asking me the questions for this one is the man, the myth, the audio engineering legend, John Summerford. How are you, John? Pretty good. The original ShakeOut Boys back together. (laughs) Pleasure to be here. It's always good to have you on the other side of the mic and to catch up for a little bit. One thing I wanted to follow up with you on from our last Ask Me Anything episode back in July, it's been a while at this point, is you were talking about how you were trying to get into daily practice of making music or just playing a little bit of music. And I'm really curious how that's been going for you. Well, it's been going good. And uh, I think the daily practice wasn't so much the bottleneck for me. I think it was the Mm -hmm. editing of the daily, the recordings of the daily practice. And uh, I think... For me, one of kind of the blessings in disguise of quarantine is 
I just have more time now to to work on music, and uh, that's what I've been doing, and it's been good. I'm excited. Do you have any plans for the music that you've been working on? I know we've used some of it here in the Morning Shakeout podcast. I've seen it pop up in some other shows that you work on, but fill me in a little bit more. Well, I had like, so I had this crazy idea to marry video content with music and with live music specifically. Um, One of my favorite things about recording is when everybody's warming up, when, you know, people are setting up mics or they're, they're spit talking and, and people are just loose and, and relaxing. And then I felt like things got serious once a person hits record. I think you can, you interview people every week. You, I think for sure can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it changes when you hit the record button and I haven't done this in a while because it's a little trickier in a virtual setting, but when I would sit down with someone to record, I would oftentimes just start, I'd hit record on the mic early yeah. on before I even told them that we were hitting record and we would just be shooting the shit back and forth and organically roll into the conversation. And yep. it just set a better tone, I think, yeah. from the get-go. And not that you know we would talk about anything they didn't want to talk about. And if we did, I could easily cut that out, but it just created a much more relaxed atmosphere. And I really think it affects the way the rest of the the interview goes. Because when you do hit record or all of a sudden things become quote unquote official, you can tense up and you start to second guess things and you're maybe a little more guarded than you would be otherwise. You're almost like fighting against your own expectations and that technique mm-hmm. where you you sort of sneak in that record button, mm-hmm. you're, you're really bypassing their expectations. And sometimes for some people, it takes a whole interview for them to get comfortable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that, especially, again, in this virtual setup that I have now, especially if it's someone that I haven't ever talked to before and maybe they're not comfortable with me yet and you can listening to it tell when you hit that point of the interview where all of a sudden they've loosened up and they're not as tense or as guarded or as closed off as they were early on and they start speaking a little more freely and going deeper into things that they might not have otherwise so and then there are people like podcast hosts and they just sound great all the time (laughs) natural talkers I wish that I wish that were the case. I mean, speaking for myself, when I hit record, especially when I'm doing my intros, which is the worst part of this job, because I have a lot of things that I need to get in there, especially if there is a sponsor read. And if I weren't looking at the screen, I'd probably forget something really important. And I just, I know it's being recorded and it feels like a bit of a performance and I don't feel as loose as I do when I get into the conversation. So yeah, I mean, I I think that that definitely holds true. But I think, you know, for what you're doing with music, I imagine the same principles apply. I mean, when, when a musician knows that what they're playing is, is being recorded and eventually going to be edited and consumed by other people, I think you become hyper aware to a detrimental degree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I especially like so this one, the one project in particular, uh, there's, there's several of them kind of down the pipeline, but the project specifically I'm thinking of, music from this project I use in your podcast, I would invite these other musicians to play with me mm-hmm. and we'd have a great time. It was, it was just a solid kind of hanging out, jamming. And then at the end of the session, sometimes they would come up to me and say, hey, we, that was a pretty cool little thing we made up we should record it sometime. And I would tell them, we are, this was the recording. We already did. Surprise. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, like, I mean, some of these are... So the, the morning shakeout theme I recorded, uh, I think August 2018. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's over two years old. A lot, and I've kind of been recording every week or so since then. Most of the stuff that I, I'll listen back and edit to from a year or two ago, I have no idea what I'm playing. I would have to kind of like sit down and listen to myself to try to figure it out, which I'm terrible at. 
that's sort of my version, I guess, of, of reading a script. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, so I have, I've got a few different projects. Uh, lockdown sort of gave me the opportunity to really dive in and start editing and, and, and kind of producing these things. And I got to say, it really excited me. And uh, kind of another, another uh, blessing in disguise of, of lockdown is there was nothing to do in L.A. anymore. There was no work there. I was just kind of sitting in my apartment. So a month or two ago, I left L.A. I'm back in Fullerton, sleeping in my dad's in the, uh, the laundry room. <laughs> and uh, it's been great. It's, it's been awesome seeing my, you know, this is my hometown, seeing my old friends and hanging out and actually working through some of these music projects. And they're going to get released. Um, probably not this year. Um, I'm actually looking to move to probably Nashville uh, within the next few months. I hope next time we record, uh, I'll have a whole bunch of releases. I can share some of this music and, uh, you know, it won't all be just plans then. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'll be sure to share them in the morning shakeout newsletter. Maybe on the next AMA, we can talk about it in the preamble to that show. But last question before we dive into the AMA episode with me why Nashville? Is it because it's Music City, USA, or is there some other attraction to it? This is a, I got a, I, I have a, a preamble story, but it will explain my, my attraction towards Nashville. It actually started, I've never been to Nashville, so I might hate it, but <laughs> I think probably I'm really going to like it. Uh, the first time I really kind of went to the South was, I went to Atlanta, Georgia, and this was 2013. Uh, at the time, I played bass for a punk band, and our biggest kind of it was it was a, a bit of like a niche genre. So, the the biggest band that we had to look up to, they had a pretty small following, and they broke up. They, this was their farewell tour. So, uh, me and a buddy, we saw them play at Chain Reaction in California, and then we drove. We took a road trip all the way to Atlanta, and then we watched their final farewell. Uh, tour, which was, uh, which they, they, they're from Atlanta, so they played there. And the concert was great, but something I wasn't expecting, I loved, I just loved the atmosphere. I loved the people. Um, I loved the air. Like, I loved the way the air smelled, and I loved that there were just trees everywhere. Um, one thing about, like, living in L.A. that at least I, didn't, I don't really think about is just like the skyline, like just walking around or going for a run, I don't really notice my environment in that way, but I sort of do deep down. And I, I really do think it affects kind of my mood and something about uh, going for a walk and just almost like I was in a forest, it just uh, it kind of awakened something in me. And I always sort of had that in the back of my mind, like I, should, I would probably love to live there. And... I don't know if I had a plan as to when I would do that, but... How's the time? Again, blessing in disguise. Yeah, lockdown kind of just gave me an opportunity, and I said, let's do this. So what you're telling everyone is you're going to go live in the woods, play music, and edit the Morning Shakeout podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you, you made the cut, Mario. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a bad life. Yeah. I, I, there's a, an artist named, named uh, uh, Bon Iver. And he did that, I think like after a breakup, he, he lived in a cabin in the woods and he recorded an album for Emma, uh, forever ago, I think it is. Good album. Should we dive into the AMA portion of the episode? Well, how have you been, Mario? What have you been up to since, uh, <laughs> since our last check-in? I've been all right. Um, most recently, during lockdown, my wife and I have taken on a major home renovation project. We redid our main bathroom. So that's taken up the last several weekends and a number of weeknights as well. But it's been really fun to basically take something down to the studs and make it exactly as we want it and to do something with our hands and to be a part of the process and enjoy this finished result. So that's the biggest thing. Otherwise, trying to run every day, um, mostly for my physical and mental health more than any future competitive goals that I, I may pursue. And yeah, just doing the usual with uh, 
my coaching and putting this podcast out every week and the morning shakeout newsletter. I mean, nothing all that interesting. Haven't gone <laughs> anywhere. Um, haven't taken on anything new, no major life changes that I can think of. So that's okay. You had a pretty good streak. You had like a six or seven month streak, right? Every day running? I did. I, I had run for, God, I already forgot, but it was at least six straight months, maybe seven months until the wildfires hit here and the air quality was just horrendous. And I was tired of driving around to try and find clean air. Don't have access to a treadmill. So I ended up taking six days straight off of running. It was a nice little reset. I don't think I realized that I needed it, which sounds (laughs) strange, but it was a good reset. When I came back, I felt definitely felt fresher, a little more reinvigorated. I definitely had a renewed appreciation for clean air and a safe environment. So it was positive, uh, even though the time off was for a very negative reason. Yeah, you didn't choose to take that time off. No, and honestly, if the air quality wasn't uh, as horrible as it was, I probably I probably wouldn't have. And I'm not saying that's a that's a bad thing. I mean, there's something to be said for routine running. Generally, is the one thing or one of the few things that I can count on every day. Is something I do for myself. I think it sets me up well for the rest of the day. But it's healthy to take a break every once in a while, whether it's whether it's forced or planned. Did you did you feel different those couple of days? Like, did you notice like your personality? Um, that's an interesting question. Yes and no. I noticed that I had more time. I mean, I don't run for crazy amounts of time every day. Generally, during the week, I run for an hour or so tops, uh, somewhere between thirty and. 60 minutes. So it's not a tremendous amount of time, but there's prep involves mobility, some stretching, general strength stuff afterward that that adds up. So I had all this time and I was like, oh, I, sp- I do spend like quite a bit of time on this or it, or it takes up a significant chunk of my morning. So I definitely noticed that as far as my mood went, not really, surprisingly, but I mean, I couldn't go outside anyway. And I think it was more that just the stir craziness of being stuck in the house because it was yeah. so dangerous to go outside and breathe the air. I mean, you had to have on an N95 mask and sometimes that wasn't even enough. Um, so no, nothing that I can I can recall from a mood standpoint that was that was way different than usual for me. But you interviewed somebody a, a while back and he was still out there biking in those fires? Gary and Town. I, in a yeah. gas mask. Yeah, Gary Town, Chico State cross-country and track coach, big cyclist. And he also had a pandemic bike streak going, and he was going out with, yeah, uh, <laughs> a, a literal gas mask yeah. uh, and riding his bike, which I am I am not going to take it to that extreme. But <laughs> he kept the streak going. I think it's still going. Um, so hats off to him. I love that. Well, hey, let's uh, let's jump into some of these questions. All right. First question. I have a question about your commitment to the diversity of this sport. How do you plan to give BIPOC runners a stronger voice on your podcast? How do you foster a healthy dialogue and conversations around runners' safety, representation, and development, notably long-distance runners? What are the actions you plan to take to make running more accessible to all communities? This question is from uh, Jinghuan. Okay, that is a loaded and layered question, Jingwan, but I'm happy to tackle it. I think on a very fundamental level, it's just having more diversity on the podcast. And I mean that not just in terms of race and gender, but, and I've pride myself on this since the very beginning of the Morning Shakeout podcast, is having people from different corners of this large community that we call the the running community. I've had athletes, I've had coaches, um, I've had behind the scenes people like race directors. Um, most recently I had on Carolyn Sue who started a, an Instagram account called Diverse We Run and she's doing some pretty incredible things there. But I mean, you know, I I just want to try and show people, and this has been a goal since the very beginning is that running is multi 
dimensional. We all have our own unique stories. And I really try to bring those out in the conversations that I have, regardless of who it is. And that's always been interesting to me. And I hope it's interesting to my listeners. And I'm constantly trying to find new people to talk to who are doing different interesting things in running or using their platform to do different interesting things in running. And I mean, from having someone on recently like a Marquise Bowden, who what I find interesting about his story, he was a college basketball player and he went to a blacklist LA run and really enjoyed it. And now he's trying to try and qualify for the Olympic marathon trials He's not a professional, but I think that's super cool and that's interesting. And it was fun to dig into his story and and his background about that. I mean, having Diljeet Taylor on BYU women's cross country and track coach and learning about how she got into the sport and how she got into coaching and digging into her story in that way, I think is, is super interesting. I think talking to all runners just about their experience, not only as runners, but as people, because I think a lot of our experiences are, are very different and not everyone's experience when they put their shoes on and go out and put their miles in is, is exactly the same. So it's, it's hearing those stories and understanding that, the way that I experience running isn't necessarily the way that you experience running. And I, I mean, I know that and I'm interested in learning more about it by, I think by having a very diverse guest list on my podcast and not just athletes and not just coaches and not just behind the scenes people, but touching on, you know, all of those things and, and hearing their stories over time, you start to notice themes, you start to appreciate those differences a little bit more. You understand more than you did before you listen to that conversation. And I think that's what it's all about. And I mean, that's the action that I've, I've been taking. And I've prided myself on that from the very get-go of the podcast. And I can do better. We can all do better. And I'm trying to do better. So that's what I plan to do moving forward in that regard. I think that's great. This was a while back. I remember reading some iTunes reviews and these were back-to-back reviews. And one review said, this podcast is great. I love that Mario has these Olympic athletes on. Mm -hmm. And then the review right after that was, hey, I really like this podcast, but I wish there were more just regular people on. (laughs) Just that there's feedback on those two ends of the spectrum. I think that's a good sign because it means you're attracting you're attracting such a wide audience and that's great. Yeah. You know, it's a gift and, to have that many there, people. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And look, there are going to be people who only listen to my podcast when I have top athletes on because that's what they're interested in. There are going to be yeah. people who listen to my podcast when I have coaches on because they're a coach and they want to learn something and that's what they're interested in. And that's totally fine. I, I can appreciate that. I mean, I cherry pick my own podcast as well. But for regular listeners, those who are tuning in, if not every week, at least a few times a month, I hope to expose them to people who are are different in so in so many ways. Like, yeah. you know, different in, you know, not just how they how they identify, but what they're doing with their platform in their little corner of the community. Because I think it's easy to get siloed as a runner. I mean, just think of how many runners identify themselves. I'm a marathoner. I'm an ultra marathoner. I'm uh, cross country. I mean, we we all kind of pigeonhole ourselves without knowing it sometimes. But at the end, we're all runners. Like we're all under yeah. the the same umbrella. And I think the more that we recognize that it's a pretty big umbrella that we're under, and if we're open to listening to these stories, we can appreciate that our experience with running is different than the person standing next to us and the person in front of us and and the person behind us. And I I mean, I think we just need more of that in our society in general is just conversation and listening to other people and understanding where it is that they're coming from and what their goals are. And in, in this case, like what their relationship is to this thing called running. Is it a competitive pursuit? Is it a spiritual pursuit? Is it just a personal pursuit? Is it something they do for their health? Is it something they do 
to inspire other people. And, you know, I, I think for me, like that's what energizes me about the podcast is having these conversations. And I hope that people listening to it can appreciate that. I have a question from the the dog lover audience. <laughs> I think this there are a couple dog related questions in there. This is uh, related to Tahoe, which is, of course, your dog's name. Mm-hmm. Do you think your runs will change once Tahoe is ready to run with you? Do you plan for more trails or going longer with him? Are there any aspects of your running that has changed or do you plan to change to incorporate Tahoe? Question from Joe Marie. It's a good question. Uh, I'm assuming this came in a while ago and I've had it in the lineup because now Tahoe is running with me and my wife, Christine, fairly regularly. We actually just took him out this morning for five miles. He ran eight miles the other day, which is the longest he's ever gone. But generally, he's getting out three to four times a week right now for between three and, I mean, I guess we just went eight miles. So I guess between three and eight miles. Um, and it's such a joy. I, I love being out there with both of them sharing the experience of being on a trail or even if we're on the bike path, just being together as as a family and moving. And for me, I mean, I'm not on any kind of tr- strict training schedule right now. And if I were, I think that would definitely influence when I take him out. I'm not going to take him to the track to do quarters with me. I'm not going to take him for a fartlek workout that I need to be focused for, or a tempo run, anything like that. So I would probably save my runs with Tahoe for my easier days. I'm not going to take them out for anything super long. I think, you know, around eight miles or an hour, hour, 15 minutes is probably the upper end of, of his limit. So, I mean, right now I'm just taking him out whenever the the mood strikes and he needs to burn off some energy. We've taken him on the trails. We take him on the path. I don't think we're going to do anything super duper long with him, but I mean, getting out three to four days a week for some easy miles or what I hope are easy miles. He has a tendency to surge and uh, try to turn the screws on me a little bit um, is going to be about the the extent of you know how and when we we run him. And when we get to a point where I turn the dial on my training and I'm building towards something a little bit more specific, I'll know that, okay, I'm going to do a workout on Wednesday and another workout on Friday or Saturday and a long run on Sunday possibly. And I'm going to either need to be by myself or with a training partner for those runs. But the in-between days when I'm just running easy, I'm just getting time on my feet and recovering, not caring about what it is that I have to do that day. I can I can take him out and we can just enjoy some miles together on the path or on the trails. He's not training for a marathon. A dog Tahoe marathon is not yet. training for a marathon. I would love to train for a dog mile with him at some point. And if that ends up becoming a reality, then I guess we would have to do some workouts together uh, at our at our intended goal pace. But it's not on it's not on the calendar at this point. Is that one of those things where like a track and then they have like a rabbit? I feel like it would be a mess on a track. I feel like you'd yeah. have to do it on a road course where you have just a little bit more room to run and not as many mm. turns. Interesting. This next question is a long one. This is from Lindsay T. My question is about easy run paces over time. I will soon be 42, and I have been running on a regular basis for about 12 years. Marathons and half marathons are my favorite distances, and while I have improved significantly over the years, I could never really get my mileage up enough to go from average to a BQ time. I don't have enough free time to increase my easy mileage because my easy run pace, according to my heart rate, but not necessarily how I feel, has never decreased. How do I get out of this rut? Should I try running for time and not distance? Or should I ditch worrying about my heart rate and go by feel? Or am I silly to even worry about mileage? And should I just focus on quality? Well, Lindsay, I've got a really short answer for you and you kind of answered it yourself. I think you should ditch worrying about your heart rate and just go by feel. Easy is a feeling. It is not a number. Sometimes you need parameters if you are prone to running too hard on your easy days, but you should be able to ask yourself, does this feel easy? And if the answer is no, you need to back it off a few notches. And even if the answer is yes, 
there's no harm in backing it off a notch because an easy run, the purpose of it is to, yes, maybe get in aerobic work, but it's mostly to recover from the quality work that you're doing and to be able to absorb it. And on a truly easy day, you really can't go easy enough. I'll tell my athletes sometimes, I want you to step above walking. And that's going to be different for everyone or everyone's perception of that is going to be a little bit different. But the point is, it needs to feel easy. It can't just be your watch telling you that here's the number that you're supposed to be at. And it's easy because you're at that number because we're not programmable robots. We're human beings. And you need to be able to check in with yourself and be honest with yourself and ask yourself, is this truly easy? And if it's not, have the the discipline and the confidence to back off so that you're not overdoing it. The next question is also mileage related. This is from Heather D. Thank you for your work on your newsletter and podcast. My question for you is about mileage. In general, what is a conservative range of miles per week that a male collegiate athlete should be training to compete in an 8K? Well, Heather, my answer to that question, as unsatisfactory as it may be, is it depends. It depends on whether or not it's this athlete's first time training for 8K. If they're a freshman, they're probably coming from racing 5Ks in high school. So that can be a bit of a jump. If they're an experienced athlete, junior, senior, they've been racing 8K for a few years, they've been building their mileage, they might be able to handle you know, upwards of 70 plus miles per week. But let's just say at a minimum freshman coming in, someone training for 8K for the first time, assuming that they're healthy and they don't need to cross train a lot to keep up their volume, minimum, I'd say 30 to 40 miles a week. I'd probably like that person to be more in that 40 to 50 mile a week range, but it's going to depend on who they are, what their training history is like, what their injury history looks like, how well they handle volume, how well they handle intensity. So it's hard to give just one answer to to that question. I don't know if she's going to be happy with that, but <laughs> that's where I stand. Similar to the last question where you talk about focus on the field, don't focus on, you know, the number. Yeah, there's no magic weekly mileage that is going to lead to a predetermined result. And I think that's important to keep in mind whether you're training for the mile or you're training for the marathon. Everyone's a little bit different. I like to reference the Bill Bowerman quote, don't count the miles, make the miles count. Next question is from Phil S. Since Boston is canceled and knowing how much that race means to you, would you mind taking a few minutes to walk your listeners through the entire experience of Marathon Monday? Since this was going to be my first Boston, I'd love to hear from you in your words what the experience is like from getting on the bus to Hopkinton to the nervous excitement buildup in the athlete's village to towing the line then hearing the start of the gun that sends you off into that historic course towards Boston. I'd love to hear it all, and I'm sure your listeners would too. Uh, Phil, Boston, for me, holds a special place in my heart. I grew up in the area. I was watching the Boston Marathon on TV before I had any interest in running. I ran my first one in 2008. I ran it again in 2010. 12 and then 15 and then 17 and then 18. And I am a completely biased Bostonian, but it's the greatest race in the entire world. There is no experience like it. You start in Hopkinton, you run through all of these small towns into the city of Boston. All along the route, you've got people whose families have been out watching this event for decades. I mean, the energy, the excitement, even on a crappy weather day is unparalleled. And if I've got to walk you through the day itself from getting on the bus, so having 
grown up in central Massachusetts, I would always stay at my dad's house and he would drop me off in Hopkinton. So I wouldn't get on the buses at the finish line in Boston, which most people who are coming in from out of town will stay at a hotel near the finish line. They'll get on the bus. They get carted out to Hopkinton, 26.2 miles away. Uh, I would get dropped off on South Street, Hopkinton, Massachusetts. I'd get on a school bus. It's a much shorter ride to the Athletes Village. You get on the bus. I mean, everyone's a little bit different. I like to say hi to people talk to people, learn about where they qualified or you know, how they got into the race, where they're from. Is it their first Boston? Like, you know, I just like to meet people. Um, I think that's, that's part of the experience of the Boston Marathon and have some good conversations on the way to the Athletes Village. You get off the bus, uh, you get into the village and it really is like its own little village, little, little city uh, for... For that morning, there's tables with bagels and coffee and water and whatever it is that you need. If you didn't travel out there with a friend, you try to find some friends or make some new friends while you're there. And depending on what time your start wave is, you'll have anywhere from a few to many hours to kill. Hopefully the weather's nice. Um, a lot of folks are you know, wearing throwaway sweats that they'll get rid of on the line. I mean, it's just a you know, you don't, I didn't have my phone with me because I don't run with it. So, you know, it forces you to either interact with people or to spend some time there in your own head. And I always, I always liked it. I like the energy of it. Uh, it filled me up before I got out to the start line. And then you get into your wave, your corral, and you've got to walk or jog or however it is that you want to get there a few blocks to get into the corrals and there's, you know, all this energy in the air, there's excitement, there's nerves, everything in between. And it's just a, it's an incredible thing to, to experience. And I think you really do have to experience it. I mean, you might hear the excitement in my voice now talking about it, but being in it is something else altogether. And I mean, I know people all along the course, I would be looking for them Throughout the race, you're in your corral. Everyone's kind of packed in like sardines. You've got people peeing on the ground around you, people tossing clothes, you know, every every few minutes, um, trying to just, you know, stay upright when the gun goes off because it is really a stampede when you, when you get off the line. But I always would tell myself right as the race started, holy shit, you are running the Boston Marathon. Like you are... A part of it. And I think it's important, whether it's Boston, whether it's New York, whether it's, you know, some small marathon in a, in a podunk town, like just tell yourself like you're, you know, you're a part of something that you're actually taking it all in. And, and I've really tried to do that, especially the last several times that I've, I've run it. Like I, I knew I was a part of history. I was a part of something special. 2018 was the year that, you know, Des Linden won, um, Yuki won the men's race. It was pissing rain out. It was cold. I, I mean, it was it was miserable, but I loved it. I knew that that was going to be one of the you know most memorable Boston marathons of all time, and I was just really thankful that I got to I got to be a part of it and that I got to compete. I still tell stories about it to you know to this day. So I'm rambling here, but I mean, Boston is just a it's a special race and it's an incredible experience. And hopefully you'll have that opportunity um, at this point, maybe later in 2021, since the April edition of the race has been at minimum postponed, but sometime soon. Hey, Mario, huge fan of the pod and just recently subscribed to the newsletter and have been loving it. My question for you is, are there any quotes from your interviews that you think about or refer to often? If so, which ones? Thank you. Sam Anderson. Sam, thank you for your question. It's a good one. I pull out a quote from every episode to lead off with as a, as a teaser of sorts before we get into the intro and the conversation. And oftentimes, those are the quotes that jumped out to me personally as I listened back through the podcast. So most recently, and I had this in the last edition of the newsletter, or I referenced it again in the last edition of 
the newsletter was a quote from Diljeet Taylor, who is the women's cross country and track coach at BYU. And she had a quote about gratitude that I've really been thinking a lot of lately. We're recording this episode the day before Thanksgiving. And she said, whatever it is that we get to do, every opportunity that we get to race or to show up to work or to showcase our talents, it should be done with gratitude. Gratitude should be the entry point to all that we do and all that we accomplish in life. And that right there is one that I have been thinking about and going back to every day because things are challenging right now. And there's a lot of stuff happening in our world that is upsetting and can really get under your skin. I've had a short fuse of late for various reasons. But if I look at that quote and I think about what she's saying about gratitude being the entry point. And I really take that to heart and I remind myself of it. It sounds crazy, like before everything. Um, it makes a big difference. It shifts my perspective. It puts me in a better mood. It helps me to see things in a different light. So that one in particular, uh, and it's one of the most recent ones, has really been jumping out to me. Uh, there are you know, a few others as well. Um, I recently had Brett Bartholomew on the podcast. He's a very well-known strength and conditioning coach. He's spending a lot of his time right now kind of coaching other coaches. And he talked about contact adaptation. It's something that comes from football. And they have contact adaptation in training camp prior to the season. And he says, you know, it's not just so that they could, you know, squeeze in games. It's so that they can get used to hitting one another. And that can actually like decrease the risk of, of injury. Well, he applied that to, to coaching. And he talks about how, you know, there are a lot of coaches who don't expose themselves to anything. And it leads to a higher likelihood of, of breakdown. And if you're, you know, you're not actually a leader if you're not leading anyone. And, you know, I know there are a lot of, a lot of coaches who, or want to get into coaching, and they'll ask me for advice. I'll say, just start coaching people, or people who want to become writers. And they're like, what software program should I use? What book should I read? I'm like, no, just start, just start writing. You know, if you want to be a, if you want to be a writer, write. If you want to be a musician, make music. Uh, if you want to be a podcaster, like you know, launch a lot of podcasts. Like you've got to you have to do stuff. And, and so the, the part of the quote, I'm rambling here, but the part of the quote is the very end. He said, the core lesson is that you have to do. You can't just ideate and be like, yeah, man, I'm a leader. Like that doesn't work. Like you've actually got to go out and, and lead people if you want to be a leader. But I think that applies to so many things. You've got to actually go out and write if you want to be a writer. You've got to go out and coach if you want to be a coach. You've got to go out and run if you want to be a runner. But a lot of people will paralyze themselves, whatever pursuit it is that they want to undertake and they try to make sure they're checking all the right boxes. Like, do I have the right gear? Am I reading the right books? Am I listening to the right pot? Like doing all the right things? Like, no, just go out there and do it. Whatever it is, you're not gonna be perfect at it right away. You're going to make mistakes. Allow yourself to make those mistakes. And it, it sounds crazy, but a lot of people are afraid to do that. They're afraid to fail, but it's okay. That's how you learn. That's how you become better over time. So that's another one that recently jumped out to me. You know, if I had to pick out one more, probably be from Brenda Martinez. Uh, I loved that conversation. That was episode 126 of, of the podcast. Brenda is a world championship medalist in the 800 meters. And I'll read you the quote. She said, I think over the years, I started to realize it's more than just running. Now, this is coming from someone who makes a career out of being a professional runner. And she said, there is more to life than just running. Obviously, it's a big part of what I do, but I'm starting to realize that we need to make sure our happiness is intact. I try to make that a part of my life. I try to stick to my schedule. I try waking up early. I try going to bed early. I try to be positive, uh, which kind of ties back to what Dilji right. Taylor said about just having gratitude for everything. But the last part of the quote was, I try not to feel entitled and hopefully I'm a positive light for these kids. I just want to be a good role model more than anything and I don't ever want to complain or anything like that. And this is a professional athlete who 
makes her career by winning races and setting records and posting fast times. But she realizes her position in the world, in the sport, that other people are looking to her. And she is trying to be a, a positive role model for for kids um, through her actions. And it's not just what she's doing on the track that is impacting people. It's the way that she's living her life. And I think that's something we can all learn from and try to do better, whether we're a professional athlete or not, whether we're a fast runner or not, is just to, is just to realize like it's more than just what we do is, is running. Like that doesn't define us. It's how we carry ourselves. It's how we treat people and it's the impact that we make. Does that answer his question? You think so? I think so. I do like the idea of somebody, they're continuing to buy more and more pairs of shoes, but they never actually go out and run in them mm-hmm. because they don't have the right pair. Yeah. Do it. What you, it's, it's like, what shoes do I need? What watch do I need? Uh, what training plan should I follow? It's like, well, how about we start just by getting out the door yeah. <laughs> and, and then we can refine all of those other things over time. Well, hey, speaking of shoes, uh, I have a question from Harles Eber. Uh, okay. This is about you, Mario, and your shoes. How many miles do you log on a pair of shoes over their lifespan? I see folks say you should only do three to 500, but I'm at 550 on a pair of peg turbos right now, and they seem fine. Anything to look for here? I love this question. It's not too dissimilar to the easy run pace question. Um, it depends. I have shoes that feel terrible after 200 miles, which is, you know, it's either a Vaporfly or it's a really crappy pair of shoes. Um, Vaporflies aren't meant to handle too, too many miles. But, you know, it depends on the shoes. I mean, the general recommendation is, yeah, three to 500. But I've had shoes that will feel great with seven, 800 miles on them. And I mean, I'm not going to throw them out just because I hit 500. So, I mean, I, I log the mileage on my shoes. It's easy enough to do in Strava. I get a little warning when I hit, forget what what the marker is I set on them. I think it was like 500, but I get a, you know, I get a warning that says, Hey, you have 500 miles on these shoes. But I always just like ask myself, I, I do that check in. I'm like, well, how do they feel? Um, and if they still feel good and they're not causing me any problems, why, I mean, why throw them away? But one piece of advice I give to runners all the time, if they're in doubt is go try them on next to a fresh pair of shoes. So, so you can feel the difference because oftentimes when we put a lot of miles on a shoes, a pair of shoes, even if they're worn down, they they still feel good. They're broken in. They're very very comfortable, but you might not realize how broken down they actually are. I mean, every time you run in a pair of shoes, you're compressing that foam, and over time, that midsole foam is going to hit the point of no return. It's not going to bounce back like it used to. I mean, there are better and better foams out there now that are more and more resilient, but eventually they break down and they're just not giving you as much as they they once were. The outsole is going to wear down. Sometimes that's obvious. It's like bald tires on a car. You know, you can tell when you're just not getting the traction that you used to get. But if you go put on a fresh pair of the, the same shoe, assuming it's a shoe that works for you, like in this, you know, in this case, you got 550 miles on a pair of peg turbos, go put on a fresh pair of peg turbos and see if you can feel a noticeable difference between the two. doesn't mean you should automatically get rid of that, that last pair, but you can at least have some perspective as far as how broken down they are compared to a fresh pair. And maybe it's time to start wearing in a new pair of shoes and phasing out that that older pair, if you notice a, a substantial difference, but I'd pay attention to how the shoe feels on your foot. Is it causing you pain? Is it causing you any kind of problems? And if the answer is no, then by all means, keep wearing them for a little while longer. But when you start to start to feel things, your body starts talking to you. Um, for me, like when my shoes really start to break down, if I'm just not getting the protection that I need from them. I have, I, I have little niggles. Like for me, it's, it's in, it's in my feet. Like I start developing hot spots in my feet. I can, I can definitely feel it. Some people feel it in their knees, others, you know, in their hips. So pay attention to those signs as well, but don't get too fixated on the numbers. Again, like I think it's good to be mindful 
of how many miles you have on a pair of shoes because sometimes when problems arise, you can easily peg it down to the fact that they just have too many miles on them and they're broken down to the point of no return. But pay attention to how they feel. Um, Just because a pair of shoes has 600 miles on them doesn't mean that they need to be thrown away necessarily. Last week you talked to Jay and she she's kind of the mindset of not using any shoes. Does that fit into running on shoes where the foam is compromised? Do you, are you just kind of adjusting your form in that case? It's a tricky topic. Um, if you're running without shoes on your feet, it is definitely going to affect your form. And one thing we talked about in that podcast is how to do that safely. Uh, and it's in small doses. Mm. Too many people will try to go from like a heavily cushioned shoe to something super minimalist and they end up getting hurt and they wonder why. And it's like, well, you went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but in regard to barefoot running or minimalist footwear, I encourage people to do those sorts of things in small doses. It's a training tool for strengthening your feet and you know, engaging some of those smaller muscles on the bottom of your feet and strengthening yourself like in that way. But most people aren't going to find it comfortable or practical to run with nothing on their feet or something very minimal on their feet most of the time. But I think doing some barefoot strides from time to time is a great idea. Doing some drills in minimal shoes is a good idea. Doing some of your speed workouts in a shoe with a lower drop um, or lower stack height is a good idea and is going to, it's just going to help keep your feet strong and healthy. It's going to help you to run with more efficient mechanics because I think at the end of the day, I encourage this of runners all the time. If you can try and have at least two pairs of shoes in your rotation, have them be different types of shoes. Have one be kind of your standard trainer that you can put on and go out and run cruise control in. Have something that's a little bit lighter, a little more minimal for your speed workouts, for drills, for sprints, for strides, for hills, uh, that sort of thing. Because they're going to engage your feet in different ways uh, and they're going to just help you become a stronger, more resilient, more well-rounded athlete. Let's close out with a question from Alexander. As a quote-unquote recreational runner, it's hard to stay focused and excited about a single goal. Often I find myself trying to train for very divergent goals. Most recently, the idea of attempting a run Everesting has lodged itself deep in my curiosity and motivation. Yet I still have a lot of unfinished business in trying to lower my 5K PR. How would you advise an athlete you are coaching to approach both of these goals in 2021? How would you sequence them or space them out? What element would be key in each training block while training for the Everesting and the 5K? Are there any other things to consider? Time between goals, maybe? Or how to stay in touch with the opposing ends of fitness for each of these events? Thank you. Man, a lot of multi-part questions for this episode. Well, I would advise one of my own athletes who came to me with this sort of dilemma to not try and pursue both of them at the same time. If we're thinking about the idea of conquering an Everest challenge, so the vertical gain of of Mount Everest, which is 29,029 feet in the course of a single run, um, which obviously is going to take a long time and involve a lot of climbing versus lowering your 5K PR, which is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It's a lot shorter, a lot sharper, a lot flatter if you're trying to run your best time. I would polarize them and put them at opposite ends of the year. So from a specificity standpoint, I think the 5K PR, with it being a lot sharper is going to require a lot more precision in your training. So you're trying to run a very specific pace for a set distance and there's very little room for error. 
oftentimes. And I've always been a big believer in getting fast first. And training for a 5K, given the demands of the event, from a pure fitness standpoint, you'll get really, really fit training for 5K. So I would put that as my first priority. I would aim to spend the first maybe three to six months of the year working toward that specific goal, which is going to you know, involve some degree of mileage, again, depending on the athlete and their background and what they can handle. Um, but generally, a heavier dose of more intense, specific workouts on the track, fartleks, that sort of thing. If you were to start, so we're a month and a half or so away from 2021 at this point. So if you were to start training for 5K PR at the beginning of the year, January 2021, and you give yourself till say June to work on that, now you hit the middle of the year. Hopefully you've got a 5K PR under your belt. If not, you've got a very high level of fitness under your belt. And you can spend the next six months focusing on tackling your Eversting challenge. And in the previous six months, when you're training for 5K, you're probably not paying much attention to your weekly elevation gain because why would you? You're training for speed. But now, elevation gain is going to become one of the primary focuses of your training. You're going to probably be trying to hit a certain amount every week so that when you get toward the end of the year and you go to tackle this Everesting challenge, it doesn't seem as daunting as it does now. But I would use, in very simple terms, I would use the first six months of the year, train for your 5K PR, get really fit, get really fast, and then give yourself the second six months of the year going into it with a really high level of fitness. Uh, now you can start to evolve your training to do less flat and faster running, introduce more climbing, and build toward your 29029 goal of conquering Everest. I think that'll do it for the day. Mario, I appreciate you uh, you having me on and uh, letting me fill these questions to you. Thanks for taking the time to ask me these questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. We will do this again sometime in early 2021. But for John Summerford, I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been the last Ask Mario Anything episode of 2020. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to both Gatorade Endurance and Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. I've been using Gatorade Endurance formula before enduring some of my workouts recently to ensure that I'm adequately energized and hydrated. And so far, so good. I love the watermelon flavor, and it's also available in lemon lime, orange, and cherry. Check out and try some of Gatorade Endurance's different options for yourself this off-season. Use the code SHAKEOUT20 and get 20% off your purchase at GatoradeEndurance.com. That's GatoradeEndurance.com and use the code SHAKEOUT20 at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. I've been using Inside Tracker to keep tabs on my blood work the past two years in an effort to optimize my nutrition and subsequently my health, performance, and recovery. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood and DNA biomarkers along with your lifestyle habits to help you optimize your body and reach your goals. As we head into the holiday season, take advantage of Inside Tracker's best deal of the year and take control of your health and wellness with $200 off the Ultimate Plan, which is their most comprehensive package. Use the code GIFT FROM MORN SHAKEOUT. That's GIFT FROM M O R N SHAKEOUT at InsideTracker.com or check the show notes to make sure that you get it right. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown, which I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, and I offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. Last two things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. 
Finally, if you're digging the podcast, I think you will love the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. Every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a short collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. And you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>